Hi, I'm Ryan Guth. Each week, I'll be sitting down with inspirational men and women whose energy makes our city a more interesting place to live. So whether you're new to Albuquerque, just visiting, or have lived here your whole life, ABQCast is my way of sharing these conversations with you. Now let's get to it. Hey there, Albuquerque. This is Ryan Guth with ABQCast, and I am delighted to have Michael Lubimoff today here with me. We are recording remotely, obviously due to COVID-19. We're online together here, and so not face-to-face like my normal interviews, but Michael is with Jackson Wink MMA, and as you probably know, this is one of the crown jewels of Albuquerque, and I'm really excited to have you here today, Michael. Thanks for joining me. Thank you so much. Yes, uh, thanks for having me. So, Michael, what would you say that you do? What is your job? What is your role when somebody asks you, hey, Michael, what do you do? What do you tell them? Pretty much, I mean, I'm, I'm a general manager at Jackson Week MMA Academy. Um, pretty much my job involves everything that has to do with the daily business operations, you know, of, of the facility. It's a world-renowned uh, MMA training spot uh, where, you know, all the fighters from all over the world come to train here. Uh, it's one of the most legendary and one of the places for MMA, it's a pretty big building, about, I guess, 35,000 square feet, two cages with house up to 50, 60 people, you know, so the restroom, I have a doctor's facility here. So it's uh, day-to-day, I'm very busy, almost like 24-7, really. I mean, I get some sleep, obviously, but, you know, I wake up, there's messages and inquiries, and then you know, I go to bed, there's messages and inquiries of people trying to get here, train here from all over the world. This gym been a leader in, in the industry for a very, very long time. You know, we created about five UFC champions, more than any other gym ever. And obviously one of the greatest fighters, two of the greatest fighters that are in there, in the greatest of all time category, obviously, train here, train. George St. Pierre trained here, and John Jones still trains here, you know. And obviously we have Holly Holm, who was UFC champion, knocking out around the hours, so... This gym is always making headlines, you know, so obviously based on that, it's a very popular spot. So I'm very busy, like with uh, with dealing with, with fighters trying to get here, uh, helping people get visas to, from all over the world, answering inquiries all the time, making deals with fighters and, and coaches and working with sponsors, making sure gym is operational, everything, you know, that we're, you know, we have a lot of food traffic too, obviously not now, but even though we still do because we have doctors in the office, so it's, it's considered an essential business. So there's a lot, of, a lot of people still coming through, stuff like that. Pretty much like okay. you know, I'm in the business office for everything. Really. Okay, so you, you make the place run. Yes, yes. So what makes Jackson Wink so special? I mean, how do you establish yourself? I mean, I, maybe I'll ask this question. Why Albuquerque, first of all? And then second of all, what makes Jackson Wing so special? I mean, obviously you guys have this track record at this point, but is it the instruction? Is there a methodology? So let's go the Albuquerque route first and then kind of what makes you guys so special at what you do? Well, I mean, obviously the coaches are local coaches, right? So Coach Mike Mickeljohn, the owner of this facility, was born in Albuquerque and he competed. Uh, he's a world champion in Muay Thai. And kickboxing competed all over the world. Has uh, fought some legends of the sport back in the day, like old school, you know, when there was no like videos or 
<laughs> things like internet and stuff like that. I mean, there's some videos, obviously, but it was like not, they didn't compete for the, in a way, for likes and, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, for things like that, for sure. shares and stuff. So just were passion, 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 you know. And then Coach Greg Jackson, he moved here, I believe, when he was three years of age, so he kind of adopted Albuquerque, you know. And obviously the whole movement started with Greg Jackson, as you know, he was, uh, he comes from a family of wrestlers, so he is a, so he's a ground specialist considered to be, and then he obviously became a very good strategist and very good coach in guiding guys you know, to success and victories and stuff. So obviously, as we've considered to be one of the oldest gyms because UFC started in 1993 and Greg Jackson was already operating his small little gym in 1992. So okay. guys... With the rise of the UFC, you know, at that time, obviously, it was so unknown, it was so barbaric, right? But Greg Jackson, obviously, already was into it, into fighting and stuff. And with success of UFC, obviously, and Corey Jackson working with fighters and developing his own technique, everything started uh, evolving together, you know, in a way. And that's why, like, if, if you would think, like, who would be, like, who would corner more fights in UFC than anyone? It would be probably 100% Greg Jackson because he was, okay. you know, there's no other way around. I mean, thousands of fights, I mean, thousands of fights, travel every weekend, everywhere. And then obviously one of his pupils was Diego Sanchez. And then he won. And Greg Jackson traveled with him all over the place and they competed in grappling tournaments and MMA tournaments, you know. And then he ended up on uh, Ultimate Fighter won the ultimate fighter obviously and with, with their success together you know um, it started coming up and then i guess at that time also george mike wilkajan owned the gym here small little gym here too was practicing more striking arts and they they ended up kind of getting introduced together and they linked up and started exchanging ideas so you take the striker and you take the grappler and the ground specialist and the strategist and and the world champion uh, kickboxer and Muay Thai specialist, you know, you put them together, obviously, you're going to have something there, you know, especially at that time, you know, when there was, uh, it was, you know, not widely known. So the competitive advantage that you guys have just off the bat was that, that you guys were there early on. Yeah, the right? amount of knowledge, the amount of knowledge here is infinite because, I mean, we train, this gym train, I mean, over thousands of like high level fighters. I mean, it has uh-huh. to because like the amount of if you li- li- read through the list of all the pro fighters that train here, it's like it's it's huge. Like of who's of who train here? Like seventy five percent of UFC roster train. Like at, at one time or another has come through. At one time, yeah. Like I mean, there's always it's right now. It's getting a little bit harder because competition became so big. There's gyms everywhere now in every part of the world because UFC is such a global market now. So gyms opened up all over the world and competition is huge. So. There was a smaller gym, then they, they upgraded a little bit. It was like in the war zone, other side of town. It was a little bit smaller gym. I mean, not a little bit, like smaller gym by, by a lot than this one that we have now. And they were kind of, that's where they got the notoriety, that, you know, and became famous with the rise of all the UFC champions and all the competitors coming out of there. So a lot of fighters started traveling from overseas, trying to train with Greg Jackson and Coach Wink. And then... Obviously, they didn't have like dorm rooms in there and they couldn't accommodate all these fighters. You know, they were outgrowing the place. So that's when Coach Winklejohn put out this building and pretty much opened up a new facility with, with dorm rooms and uh, showers. And, and Oh, so you can house people in your facility? Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. We have, okay. We have about 20 apartments and I don't know, nine, 
ten dorm rooms and stuff. We can fit. Okay, so this is not something that people are doing. Like, if you're an aspiring MMA fighter, this is your full time job. Is that true? Yeah, if you're high level guy, yeah. But then we have house a lot. We have a very strong amateur team. I mean, fighters are you know either beginners, but not like super beginners. We don't take anyone with no martial arts. We don't have martial arts experience in anything. We can work with you. So, in order to join an amateur team, we have to have some kind of experience. So, we have a huge okay. team. So, the guys, the guys that are like, okay, college is not for me. I want to pursue fighting. You know what I'm saying because <laughs> they see how much success came out of here. So, are they working a job and then coming back and fighting and then working a job? It's like going to college. You know, this is their investment. They invest into their fighting education. Versus, so what kind of financial commitment does it take on behalf of a like a aspiring fighter? Like, what does that look like? What is that? Can you just maybe draw out what that course that education looks like? Yeah, it's very affordable. I mean, like dorm rooms is like $500 a month. So it's not, you know, I mean, obviously you're staying with other people in the room. That's pretty cheap, actually. I mean, if you think about cost of living, that's pretty cheap. You know, no, no other bills, you know, electricity, everything, food, water, kitchen is here. We've got a little restaurant downstairs. We're close in downtown mm-hmm. area, not too far from the mountains, you know, and very close to airport. We had fighters here from every part of the world. Like, I can't tell you some countries that you probably haven't heard of. But what's it like in the door? I mean, is it, are the fighters fighting with each other in there? Like, what's the dynamic like inside the dorms? Yeah, they train two, three times a day, so they're tired of fighting each other like upstairs. So most of them just rest, chill. I mean, of course, the personality clashes happen. You know what I'm saying? So it's, it's, of course it's going to happen. But for the most part, they know they need to behave. Otherwise, they're going to be kicked out. Yeah, I feel so, like you need like a reality show or something, you know. <laughs> we do. We had so many people. Netflix was here. It's like a showtime. I mean, we get so many just never materialized because you got to find, you know, who's going to invest money in them. Sure, but sure. It's like interest is there. You can make like crazy reality show. It's like a little house like that's like that never sleeps, you know, like there's so much. Uh, right. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. So let's just go back for people who don't really understand this concept that are listening and don't understand UFC, MMA, you're using all these initials, right? UFC, obviously, Ultimate Fighting Championship, right? That is the pinnacle top competition, right? Worldwide for basically cage fighting, right? Like NFL for football players. Right. And so I remember as a kid, I remember I used to, well, I trained in martial arts from like 10 to 18 years old. And I was obsessed when I was a kid. And that was in the 90s for the most part, pretty much squarely in the 90s. And I remember going to the local Blockbuster, which was not a Blockbuster, it was like a local local place, to rent the UFC like two, three, four. And I had to get my parents to rent it for me because they wouldn't rent it because it was so bloody, you know? And uh, Ken Shamrock and the Gracies and all those types of people from back in the 90s and so, I mean, this is what UFC are they on at this point? What number? I mean, it's UFC 249 happening this weekend, actually. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, but even, like, even though they call it UFC 249, this is just their pay per I believe that it's pay per views, but then there's in between ones, the ones they did do, like used to do on Spike, on Fox, you know what I'm saying? So it's way more events than 249. It's just, it's just the official pay per view ones. Uh, UFC 249, but they do, okay. they do other cards, you know, that are not pay per views. So like I mentioned, they've done, I remember when they had a deal with, with Fox, they were like on Fox One, you know what I'm saying? Like not pay-per-view, but they didn't call them UFC like 230 or whatever. You know, they called it like UFC on Fox One, UFC on Fox Two, UFC. So the official one, so when you say I have, we have five people who have won our UFC champions, we're talking of those 249. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Okay, because that's like the Super Bowl. Yeah, five, well, five, no, but th- this is more. You got five UFC champions, but John Jones, let's say, he defended his title 15 times. So that's 15 Super Bowls. <laughs> so, you know. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. So you have to remain on the top. Yeah, because of course, you win the title, you have to defend the title, right? So, John Jones, that's why he's considered the greatest of all time, because people challenged them in, <laughs> so many times, and no one was able ever to take his belt. Like with George St. Pierre, you know what I'm saying? Like with so many great athletes. The amount of championship bouts this gym bending is like insane. And just in UFC, but don't don't forget there's other amazing and big promotions that are competing with UFC, like Bellator MMA. That's that's the second biggest promotion in the world. And there's Asian promotions that are like one UFC that used to be Pride. It used to be like, you know, a lot of Russian promotions that are competing that won belts in a lot of different organizations. Gotcha, so, okay. Yeah. It's not just UFC. UFC is the pinnacle, the biggest, the money making, you know, opportunity there. It's like, it's like you are recognized as the greatest to, to ever. So, what are the prizes like in UFC? I mean, if you win UFC, what does that do for you, for your career, financially? What is what does that look like? Become a millionaire. You know? Is that just instantaneously? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Okay. All the news networks talk about you. I mean, the sport is covered by all the major networks now. It's like you on ESPN. You win so promote and then promotional stuff too. So you're endorsing equipment. Yeah, like Reebok and different all the fighters. Like Reebok is the main sponsor for UFC, but then you have, you know, some other opportunities somewhere, I guess. So, like, I mean, you win UFC championships. I mean, you most likely will be set for life. So explain to me what a training schedule would look like for somebody who's really serious about this. What does their average day look like? These guys train all day long. I mean, we have on schedule, pretty much every gym is usually the same. It's two training, two official group sessions, you know, either consistent of, you know, you got usually morning is the sparring sessions when the guys go hard with it, you know, everything goes. And even is usually more specialized training, either like striking class or grappling classes, you know, or wrestling. And then in between, the guys are doing private sessions, working one-on-ones with coaches, hitting mitts working with techniques, uh, drilling, drilling the moves, going to strength and conditioning places, working on the strength and conditioning. And on the weekends, going to mountains and doing work over there. So it's literally like training and training and training, you know, just in everything. Seven days a week? Well, you have to take days off. Most likely. Okay. Sunday most, for most people. I train myself all the time, so I take Sunday off. Tell me about your specific introduction to MMA. Yeah, sure. I mean, actually, it's funny because the way my life happened in the way into MMA sport, sport is like the dream to be part of a big MMA team. Because from day one, and I was just like you, I was actually, I don't know how old you are, but I was 16 years of age. That's when I came to America. I came to America by myself, actually. I was a change student, like my first year in America. I spent all by myself, came here all by myself. So it was kind of crazy. And then a little bit later, I guess, I think in 1996, I was here. And I ended up catching a VHS tape, like you said, of the UFC one. And like I got captivated by it, you know, like people beating crap by each other. And, I, and when I was younger, I trained in Russia. I trained like sambo, a little bit of judo. And sambo is very similar. Combat sambo is very similar to my majors, different rules, different like outfit, helmet and stuff. Yeah, so I got like literally fell in love with that sport. And I was like, I want to see more. I want to see more, you know. And then uh, in a way, my life happened is where like, I couldn't really train because I was trying to find myself in this country and I was kind of lost by myself and things like that. But I always followed the sport. Played hockey, actually. Played hockey. That 
kind of was a hobby. And then I ended up going to the military here. And then when I came out, I got in the car business. And I was, I was, uh, she happened to meet somebody who was in the business as well. And that's when I started training jujitsu too, because like, I had a little break, you know, in between of how I, my physical, like I worked out all the time. I was like in deep shape, sure. but I was getting bored and stuff. And I found jujitsu, you know, like I was literally, I was around my work and I kind of took a wrong turn and just like, I'm, 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 I'm driving like right, right around my work. Like I see the sign, you know, Hansa Gracie jujitsu. Hansa Gracie is one of the greatest jujitsu practitioners, you know, Gracie family, right? That's one of the. Yeah, I I used to study at his gym when I lived in New York City. Oh wow, I've been there too. There you go. See, yeah, big, nice, sweaty basement. <laughs> they big now. And the funny part is that uh, I was I was I found the affiliation, you know, because I was living in New Jersey at that time. So and I, I walked in there and pretty much just got my ass kicked, and then I was in luck, you know. Like I couldn't believe that someone could do it to me, you know, like command or like that. So and I got so stubborn, I just kept coming and coming and getting better and getting better, you know. And then at that time, as I was working, like I said, I went. So I met somebody in the business, and they were also Russian. And then uh, they were also from Russia, not Russian, but from Russia. And I started working with them, and and then ended up getting involved with the Russian uh, management team. And this is the team that brought Khabib Nurmagomedov here first to America. And there's a lot of Russian-born fighters, you know. So and that's that's how I started like traveling and uh, literally kind of quit my job. And I started, you know, even like investing into myself, trying to get into the business because I got so captivated by how awesome this was, how fun it was, you know, like being part of it. Because I stopped, I, uh, I ended up in uh, Habib Nurmagomedov's corner uh, in his sixth fight. You know Habib, right? The UFC champion right now, right? Sure. So, yeah, I ended up in his corner. I have like a whole video blog I filmed of how it all played out. I trained with him a little bit. So little by little, I was kind of getting dragged into it while I kept on training, started doing striking and you know, more striking, but mostly, you know, grappling, judo, and stuff like that. Started competing, won, uh, won a bunch of uh, grappling tournaments. So, uh, you know, it was pretty competitive. But I was already kind of getting older. As I had family, I had a child, child to feed, you know. So it was like the option for me to compete wasn't there, like on that level, you know. But I knew I'm going to fight myself in the sport. And as I traveled with all the guys to different camps around the world, in different events, I met obviously a lot of people, and came out. Came to Albuquerque here once, and uh, we ended up meet, you know, get, getting to know Coach Wink. We ended up actually cornering one of the fighters that used to train here, Timur, in World Series of Fighting, which is a big organization too. The one they're not, now they called PFL, and uh, we ended up in the same corner. It was like me, Coach Wink, Habib Nurmagomedov. And Mark Henry from New Jersey, the Frankie Edgar's coach, you know. So we ended up together in that same coach. So little by little, I kind of got to know Coach Wink. And then I came here second time, and he was opening the gym, this new facility, and he liked me, you know, we talked. And at the same time, kind of, I always say, I ended up in the right place at the right time. But like, I guess it was like my calling, you know, like I was guided here some way, somehow. Because sure. I always wanted it, you know. And then literally we spoke. He took me to the new gym, started showing me around as it was being built. And uh, like literally the next day, he offered me a job. I drove, I flew back home to New Jersey, packed my stuff, got in the car, I drove all the way here. 
and we opened this new facility and five years later, you know, it's pretty successful and it's up and running. It's uh, doing great. Obviously right now with all the coronavirus, it sucks. You know, it's like, yeah, this is pretty terrible. <laughs> this is pretty bad. Yeah, yeah. This is pretty bad. Yeah, yeah. Well, let me ask you, are you the gatekeeper? I mean, me, if somebody wants to train and you have way too much demand and you don't have enough spaces for people, are you the guy to know? Well, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you're the one who lets people through the door. Yeah. Well, we'll like, I mean, for, uh, turning people down, I don't like much, you know, unless you're completely new and you have no experience. I can't, th- I can't throw you in. Now you have Wink Gym, right? Now that's, that's for that's, people that just want to be recreational, right? Yeah. Yeah. Kids programs. Yeah. And like uh, kids programs and family. Yeah. So that's like, if you have no experience, but you're local here, we send you there, you know, maybe get some year, year experience over there if you want to fight. You're still young or something. So you would consider yourself part of, I'm, I'm wondering if there's like a lineage, like would you consider yourself part of like the Gracie lineage? Well, actually it's funny because I was going to answer that previous question anyway. So I'm a black belt in jiu-jitsu now and uh, I received the black belt last year. Well, congratulations. Yeah, thanks. From a uh, uh, son of Carlos Gracie, who is okay. the owner I mean, no, I forget. The founder of Jiu-Jitsu, because the two brothers that founded Jiu-Jitsu and brought it here, they found Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu was Helio Gracie and Carlos Gracie, right? So I'm part of the Gracie Baja team, which is very big here in Albuquerque as well. They have over a thousand schools out all over the world. And there's like four major schools here. So mm-hmm. we, we, we have a very good relationship with Gracie Baja. They are some of the guys there are our coaches and we cross train with them all the time. And one of the main guys there, Tusa, is John Jones' coach, Holly Holmes' coach, you have Barato over there, Brazilians, you know, like the Brazilians brought Jiu-Jitsu hit to Albuquerque, so it's huge. If you ever want to actually get them on podcast, that's what I recommend you do because okay. what, what they do for Albuquerque is insane in the way of like spreading the, the sport and Jiu-Jitsu and stuff. So in the last year, they had a huge summit. There was like thousands of people. Uh, every two years, I believe they do the summit where, like I said, the founder of uh, Gracie Baja team who is Carlos Gracie Jr. He's the son of the founder of Jiu-Jitsu. He gave me his black belt. So to me, to me, this was like insane. Like if you would be in the sport and you would understand what it means, it's insane. Because usually people get like lineage, you get like... Because like, Carlos Gracie, that's Henzo's father, right? You right. know, one thing is... One thing is I'm confused with all the Gracies. Like, there's, so uh, there's a lot. Yeah, there's a whole lot of them. <laughs> but I believe so. Not okay. here. Either. It has to be part. I think Carl. Uh, maybe it's not even the. I don't think he's in the son. I think he might be a nephew. One. Oh, but, okay, that makes uh, sense. Not, yeah. not the son. I don't think a he's lot a of son. lot of cousins and nephews and stuff. Yeah, in that, in that family. Lot, you know? So okay. yeah, but he's one of the most accomplished. I would say his system and Gracie Baja are probably the biggest. You know, like Hansa Gracie's system is huge, but Carlos Gracie Jr. is he's a red belt. You know which is like grand. Which higher than black belt. Yeah, yeah. So usually um, for majority of people, like if I were to get my blue black belt from Tusa, who is a fourth degree black belt, the, the owner of Gracie Baga here in Albuquerque, he's like the director of the system you know, here out of all the thousand schools, you know, so you got all this uh, higher ups, right? So like this is who I thought I'm going to get my black belt from, which is insanely, like it's a huge honor, right? But then Tusa scheduled me for this summit to go there and get my black belt from that organization, from the hands of like, you know, the BJJ gods, I always say, you know, like like the greats, like the, the elite 
of the yeah, you were you were blessed there. That was amazing. I have a certificate hanging on my wall here, in uh, you know, signed by him from him. I have my belt from him. It's insane. Like you can't describe it. You know, it's indescribable. I dedicated ten years to this. It's like I have such a good, big passion for jujitsu and training and things like that. And just for me to be part of this was. I mean, it can't be taken away. So. Now, what, will you be doing any Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu specific competitions yourself? I might end up, you know, I'm 40 years of age now. So I, I still want to try to kind of get into like maybe world championships because I have like divisions like Master 1, Master 2, Master 3, like for older people, you know. Okay. Yeah. So you're saying like, I mean, to me, 40 is not that old, right? But when you talk about this type of stuff, now, if you go back, go back, going back to Jackson Wink and the fighters that are there, I mean, when do fighters start? retiring out and no more of this at what at what age uh you know right now it's hard it's not a lot of people retire early you know why and i'll tell you why because the sport like you see a lot of guys in their 40s 45s even still fighting especially the guys that have the name because then they have a name recognition they have the legendary status and now the money is there to make you know mm-hmm. a lot of those guys that were coming up a lot of the guys that were coming up at that time when we got into, remember, 1996, 2000, in the beginning, because we're still in infancy of the sport, right? So mm-hmm. the money wasn't there, right? All these guys made big names, became legends of the sport, fought all over the world, fought who's of who. They have the legendary status. But they weren't making the, t- the type of money that the guys are making now. You know, if you can, like Alistair Overeem, you know, who's been in the game for forever, you know, you, you make million dollars a fight, you lose a win. You don't care, but you just keep coming back because... Pocketing a million dollars in your bank feels good, right? So when you're making it just because of your name, even if you lose, you know, still the demand to see because you win one, you lose one, knock somebody out and you get knocked out. You know, so it's like you're older, obviously, right? You're older. So obviously you're not going to be in the peak form. Sometimes they'll set you up. They set you up, like you say, you're older fighter, but they set you up to to fight some young gun. Like remember like Francis Ngannou, who is just this monster. It's fighting, you know, Alistair Vareem. And Alistair is like, you know, that crazy knockout that happened. Like, you see it all the time. Like, an older legendary fighter gets paired out with some upper comer who's just a machine, right? And then, obviously, things going to happen. But you get paid. You just get up, shake it off, jump right back in. Okay, so let me ask you but then about this, the McGregor-Mayweather fight. Because, you know, this was like probably in popular culture, this was a really great thing for an MMA fighter and a boxer, you know, to expose the general public. You know, there are people that didn't ever have an opinion about MMA or boxing. And they were, you know, like my mom, you know, is like, oh, I want, you know, I want McGregor to win or I want Mayweather to win. There are these people that you would never have commenting. And so it was like, I guess it was like, you know, it's a big deal for PR for boxing and MMA. I personally, I was I was rooting for Conor McGregor myself, and I don't know whether that's going to be controversial for you or not, but I always felt like they stuck him in a boxing ring. I was like, if you put Floyd Mayweather in a cage, he's done, right? I mean, would you agree? Of course. Yeah. So, I mean, like, that wasn't fair. Like, you can't take Conor McGregor's feet away from him, right? So, and all the other, in like, you know, the ground and stuff like that. So, it wasn't about being fair in this fight. It was about making crazy amount of money. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Just like, I mean, anyone would do it. I mean, it was entertainment value at that point, right? Because even if you lose, you were getting a, a huge. Like, it was a turn into that. It turned into a, right. lot of, a lot of trash talk, a lot of. What if, what if, what if, what if McGregor knocks him out, right? Like, what if? 
I was all about what if. Canada, because McGregor considered to be a stand-up fighter, you know what I'm saying, with heavy hands, with that crazy laugh that can put anyone away. There's so much hype behind it because of Mayweather and McGregor talking so much. It was an entertainment fight. Right, it was entertainment. Okay, yeah, that's what I, that's like not, that's kind of a sort of main mainstream. If McGregor, if McGregor would have put him away, then it would have turned way more into something bigger. But he didn't, so. So explain to me, because we see this all the time show up on social media and stuff. Explain to me the weigh-ins and why, what's up with this whole like staring people down and getting getting in people's, getting in their face and stuff like that. What's that all about? It's also an entertainment factor. It obviously. is. Okay. Okay. And obviously, obviously it's a workup, right? Like a workup to the fight, right? So because obviously when the fighters are scheduled to fight, you know, let's say a month prior, right? So you get... And obviously, with, with UFC being an entertain, entertainment company, right? Fight entertainment company. There's a lot of filming going on. A lot of bad blood starts boiling, right? People making up things. And it becomes like, you become rivals. It becomes something bigger than just a fight. Sure. Yes. Like, like if you have regular competitions, let's say like regular kickboxing matches, right? Guys don't even know each other, never seen each other. No one knows anything about each other. Like grappling tournament, just in and out, you know, for experience, right? Sure. This is really becoming bigger than that. It's entertainment. So people want to get, people have fans of this guy and people have fans of these guys. So then all these programs and you sell the programs and the TV coverage and this and that. So, and that's kind of like, and most of the time, like if the fighters, if they run into each other and it becomes scuffle, like when McGregor Khabib, remember that it became this huge story, right? Like the news, all the news networks talking about it, right? So obviously, and then they have that final face-off right before the fight. You know, everyone made weight. That's a fight week. So you're all in the same hotel. So there's a lot of interviews, a lot of commotion going on. So it's just part of entertainment factor, you know, and it's usually it's considered to be like, even in boxing, remember face-off, right? Like you face people off. Like Mike Tyson, like he'll eat your soul, right? He'll, he'll see right through you. So he'll eat your ear, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was that people judge sometimes, and even based on that, even based on stare-down, and people for whatever start making up like, oh, he was intimidated. Oh, he was scared of this guy. So, and then when the, the bats, like the bats, even the bats can be affected by it. Oh, okay. You know? McGregor, you know, like, let's say when they, I think, believe, like, Nate Diaz kind of, like, flinched, you know, like, or, or some vice versa, like, when they stared down with McGregor, one of them flinched or whatever. And then everyone, because, like, somebody, like, I guess either Nate Diaz, like, stepped forward quick, you know, like, to try to intimidate, intimidate McGregor. McGregor might have flinched or vice versa. I don't remember. Like, it happens all the time, right? Say, oh, this guy blinks. Oh, he blinked. He's scared. He was first, you know? Right, so, okay. <laughs> so people are trying to make, like, psychological evaluations on these people. Psychological warfare, kind of. Which, okay. you know, like, like, remember Ronda Rousey versus Holly Holm. Ronda was so pissed. And he hit Holly's hand. She hit Holly's hand. And she was, like, saying mean things. And then they interviewed the guys right after. So it's it's all about, like, and the fans are screaming. And then, get in your face. Do this, do this. So sometimes they'll push each other. In Russia, you see, like sometimes, like a guy will slap, like they'll get face to face, nose to nose. Sometimes some guy will kiss another guy. <laughs> 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 sure you've seen it on videos, like so. Weird- I've seen, I've seen that where he gives a one guy gives the other guy a kiss on the nose or something. Yeah, yeah, some weird stuff because it's just psych him out, just try to psych him out. Yeah, like for whatever reason, like and you know, like I've seen videos, the guy gets slapped, like some guys get knocked out by a slap, just in in stare down, you know. So do right. you guys give coaching? Like what what kind of coaching do you give on non-fighting stuff? Like 
PR and social media? I mean, do you guys give coaching on that kind of stuff? Not really. Like, not for lower level guys. I talk to them, I help them out. I kind of give them pointers and stuff. But for bigger guys, most of them, they have UFC, they have PR teams behind them. It's kind of not our job to kind of get in there, you know. Obviously, on a human perspective, like Greg Jackson and Mike Winkleger, they're very close to the fighters. They train them day in, day out. They're always in the cage. They're always training. So it's like, of course, they talk about things. Of course, I mean, the experience. Uh, and like I said, the amount of knowledge she is is infinite, you know, in the sport sure. of MMA. And obviously, gyms go through up and down all this stuff we have success we have failures we, we go down we go up but we learn and we evolve evolve like you see too you know like it's they get bigger and bigger and bigger and we got bigger and bigger as, as well we show pointers we teach we help but like john jones he has his own pr team he's got the management team they got ufc they got specialists there as well you know, for, for everything you know it's everything's together Okay. I, it's interesting because it's like, you know, these people have real lives too. I mean, I, I was seeing John Jones on Instagram and it's like, oh, he's playing with his kids and, you know, he's just riding his bike like a real person, you know. I'm supposed to ride a bike today with him, actually. Oh, there you go. There you go. So, you know, now do they, obviously they can probably kill almost anybody who would attack them. But I mean, what's the hard part about being a celebrity in the MMA world? I mean, is are there, I'm sure there's like, haters you know and stuff like that uh, you know i mean what is what, what challenges do you see in these fight you know that are kind of like personally that you see in fighters in general that they have to deal with that maybe they didn't realize they were going to have to deal with when they jumped into this man so much man so much i mean just like with any celebrity right as you're coming up you kind of you know you don't become celebrity overnight right so i mean sometimes you do right but like usually you know, but like John Jones's career spans a decade. You know, he's, he's named a fighter of the decade. John mm -hmm. Jones, fighter of the decade by every major organization. Like for in 2020, like they did uh, last year, 2019, they did the fighter of the decade. So it's like, imagine like when you're on top so long, I mean, how many adversity and things you have to deal with. But it's like, yeah, they're normal people, man. They're normal people. It's just with the rise of social media and things like that. It's just like, you can't get a break, man. I mean, like not, not even... I, mean, I know John, John been involved in some crazy controversial things, you know, but like, look at all the legends of major sports and stuff. Look at Mike Tyson, what he used to do when he was younger, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. like, what well, somebody also wants to take you down, right? They want to take you down just because you're famous. Oh, down, down or not down, it's like, you're human. You know, you do things. Like, your job, that's why I never understand. I always tell people, like, they're looking for these role models in the sport. Yeah, some guys are great, like George St. Pierre, you know, there's a lot of great, great champions that are uh, role models, let's say, for kids, you know. But then when it's it's a very violent sport. You sure. cannot be normal in the head to completely beat the crap out of somebody all the time. Like, it's not normal, you know what I'm saying? This requires a very special kind of humor, you know what I'm saying, to do this. It's a modern-day gladiators, right? When, right, I was just going to say that, yeah. Modern-day yeah. gladiator, you're made to your, your, your train and, and your mindset and you're in front of the whole world to either get knocked out, get beat up, or beat somebody up, and things like that. You know how many demons these fighters are you know, fighting with in their heads? You know what sure. I'm saying? Losing in, pub in, in public and, and the whole world and everyone talking shit about you and constantly disrespecting you and blah, blah, blah. And we're talking about a little kid, you know, like some 14, 15-year-olds, you know, like sitting on the computer doing this and then all the media tearing you apart and things like that it's a lot of unfairness in this game as well you know like 
most sure. of the media they have a job because of the fighters, because of the sport, because of what the guy is doing. You know what I'm saying? But it comes at a price. Yeah, it definitely yeah. comes. Like in any sport, obviously, you celebrity, you pay the price, you know, and you know, you know, you're in the limelight, so obviously you're gonna you, you do some kind of mistakes, you end up doing something that you're not supposed to do. Of course, you're gonna be tear, tear, tore apart, you know, for that. Mm-hmm. But like back in the day, if you know, if you read the newspaper, Mike Tyson, uh, you know, he went to prison, and then you know, let's say he beat beat somebody, some guy up somewhere. You know, you read the newspaper, you talked around with your circle of friends or people, whatever, you moved on, right? Now. It's like it doesn't exist like that anymore. Like a little freaking, like I said, ten year old gets a gets a say on Facebook, you know, and starts saying bad things and things like that, or sending messages to fighters. I get nasty phone calls nonstop about like about the fighters and you know, get drunk calls. I get people cursing us out and just for little small things, you know. Like wow, yeah, it gets pretty annoying to start. So, do you guys have like do you have mental health people on your staff? We do have people that work, yeah, they work with that and stuff. Yeah, we do. Not per se on the staff. It's kind of like we have a doctor that comes in and just works with fighters, which we give. That's good. I mean, that's, yeah, gosh, that could be so, that's going to be hard. I mean, I, I can't imagine. I'm sure that nobody has any perspective in, uh, on it until they're actually there. Yeah, you know? I feel like if you, you know, like, it's like one of the things, you know, the guy gets taken down and somebody's like, why doesn't he just get up? <laughs> you know, like. Dude, have you ever been on the wrestler? Like, have you ever been taken down? Like, have you ever been right. in the face or elbowed in the face? When you, <laughs> a bro had your nose broken and you freaking get a hematoma on your forehead or some fingers broken, right. <laughs> broken, everything broken, but you're still going. Everybody's an expert on the couch. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it's like, it's like you have to look at it. If you're a specialist somewhere, you know, you do something like, I'm not going to go into your field and constantly tear you apart. Yeah, you can right. have an opinion, of course, blah, 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 but then. People overstep their boundaries, like and say things like that. And then when confronted, they would never say it. like they would never say it to the face. No matter how much, let's say that person would hate John Jones, like if they would see him on the face, you know, and they constantly like troll in every account, saying bad things. If you see, if you would see John Jones, that person, right? He'd ask for an autograph in the picture. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. you know, or not say anything. But that sounds like the, the hypocrisy of the internet is big, man. Like it's huge. It's People are super hypocritical in, in everything that they do. Yeah, you get internet muscles, you yeah. know. So. Yeah, it's like, that's why with fighters, that's why they kind of they have to block it out. And most of them do. They just don't. Yeah, that's good. Just the, that's the only way because you're always going to have messages of hate, love, hate, love, hate, love, the relationships with everyone. So when you're in spotlight, no matter what kind of sport you're in, it's going to happen. Especially. Yeah. So what are you guys most excited about right now? Well, this weekend is UFC happening, UFC 249. We have Michelle Waterson fighting on that card. So that's pretty exciting, actually. I mean, the biggest that's excitement, great. obviously, is like, we don't know it yet, but the major excitement is going to happen when they say, guys, you can open up and go to work. So that's going to be exciting. <laughs> so that's what we're waiting for. So, so, I mean, what have you guys been able to do during this whole thing? I mean, are, are, are do you still have people living in the dorms and stuff? Yes, of course. It's their living quarters. Yeah, they so are, are people allowed to kind of train if it's just kind of one-on-one or whatever? Yeah, I mean, a lot of the guys, they go outside, they go in the parks, they go in the mountains, they hit mats, they do whatever. I've seen people put mats in their garages. Like, I don't train here. I go, obviously, I go to someone else's garage with the jiu-jitsu, just a couple of people, that's it. You know what I'm saying? So it's the people's bread and butter. Like, it's something, it's, it's their life. It's like... Yeah, it's these little mom and pop places. I mean, I, I don't want to call Jackson Wink a mom and pop place, but I mean, it, it's it's a small business. Small business, yeah. It's like 
Well, I mean, you guys have a great platform there and what you do in Albuquerque. I mean, you're a respected place. I appreciate your time, Michael. I'm really happy that, that you were able to connect with me. I know you're a busy guy, so uh, hopefully right. I added a little structure to your day. <laughs> you know? I guess, like I said, see, I'm excited to actually do it because it gets me to come outside from home, come to the office and kind of do stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, absolutely. yeah, absolutely. absolutely. We've been getting a lot of interview requests. It's like almost every day. Somebody wow. Because people like school, they sit at home and they want to do remote stuff, right? They're, they're like bored and they're doing their thing. So it's like... It kind of gives people some way to form communication, sure. communication with other people. Yeah. Well, I hope to meet you in person someday. Maybe I, maybe I'll hop by to the, the gym and, and shake your yeah. hand one day. Sure. And, Anytime uh, we open up, we, we open for public, for you can have observation day, you can visit gift shop. Like, great. You want to come by, yeah. It's great. Yeah, I, I don't think I'm going to get in the cage with anybody anytime soon, but yeah. I'd be happy to meet you. <laughs> so. Send me, hey, thank, send me the link when you have it already so I'll share it around listen to it too it's fun. I will do yeah I will do thank you so much Michael appreciate it sounds good man thanks alright take care bye bye alright Albuquerque thank you so much for listening to ABQ Cast. I have a three step process that I would like you to follow right now number one subscribe on wherever you get your podcasts step two rate the podcast and step three review the podcast wherever you get your podcast and that is so important because that last piece right there is going to help me to understand what you like about the show and what you'd like to see more of so let me know what you like what you'd like to see more of and that way i can tailor the show to meet your needs and i will definitely give you a shout out if i hear from you especially on apple podcasts because that's where all those ratings tend to end up and that's where i see them most so subscribe rate and review and lastly uh head over to abqcast.com and you can check out what we have going on over there if you haven't already and tell a friend that you are listening to abqcast and that you love them and so text them and say abqcast is great and i love you thank you so much for listening today and we will see you next week